Well, we want to invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to Deuteronomy 5. And we want to continue in this passage and we want to want to look at what God has to say to the people of Israel here. And we are, this is the second message in, in, the, in the series, Raising Up a Godly Generation, the Next Generation. This is part two of Raising Up Godly Parents. And as we, as we read this passage, let's, let's not think just in terms of, well, this was for them back there. Let's remember that God's still raising up godly parents. He's raising up godly generations. And it's by this means, this, this, his word doesn't change. So the means doesn't change. And the, and the principles don't change. And the applications, in many ways, don't change as to how they're applied, but they do change with the times as far as what we're applying to. So let us, let us read this passage. We will begin in verse 23, Deuteronomy 5, and read to the end of the chapter. And we'd ask you, please stand for the reading of the word. So it was, when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you and you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you and we will hear it and do it. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Go away, go and say to them, return to your tents. But as for you, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which you shall teach them, that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. Therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand, nor to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall, which you shall possess." Thank you. You may be seated. We, we, spent, we spent our time last week looking at the first part of this passage where the people were in terror 
of the voice of God and of his presence. We looked at, at, at how that this was so great, it was so big, the, 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 the presence of God was so immense on the top of the mountain that the people standing at the bottom of the mountain, not touching the mountain, were afraid for their own lives. Even Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. And we understand that as we look back at the passage at the time, God says that the answer to that terror of him is that they would fear him. And we ask, what does that mean? They're already in terror of him. Why now should they fear him? And we under, begin to understand that this is not the fear God is, is bringing to them as an answer to the terror is actually a reverential fear, a fear that believes in him but is, is, knows that he's a, a terrifying God. He is a consuming fire. But they draw near to him with the right fear that is a fear of love and faith. And it's, it, it's, it's talked about in all of Scripture. In fact, it is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs says. And God here says that half of the problem is they don't fear me. That's half of it. The other half is that they would have a heart to fear me and do my commandments. And so fear is at the, the fear, proper fear of God is at the root of drawing near to God. You know, somebody we respect and honor and love, we don't want to disappoint them. We understand that even here as a, in, in our relationships as human beings. How much more God? How much more the King of Kings, the Holy One? And as we draw near to Him, we find that He cares about what's going on in our lives. He cares about whether we believe him or not. He cares because he wants to bless. And as you think about the next generation, my friends, the fear of God in you is going to be the means by which your children will understand who God is properly. Unless you fear God in the proper manner, your children, well, number one, they'll either grow up with a terror of God, or number two, they'll grow up with an I don't care attitude about Him. If you're running away from God this morning, you're in terror of Him. If you're trying to escape the penetrating gaze of Almighty God, by running and hiding, by, by, by putting all kinds of things in your life to kind of drown out that voice, trying to put as much distance between you and him as you can. It is because you are in terror of him, and friends, it is, it, your answer will be to fear him. And it is he that is calling us to that this morning. Before we go any further, let's just pray.
Our Lord, as we come to this second part of this passage of Scripture, we indeed ask for your grace. We ask for the Holy Spirit to minister your word. And I pray, Father, that you would open our minds and open our hearts. And Father, that you would bow our, our wills to yours, Lord. And as we come to the place of recognizing your truth and, and seeing it, Lord, give us faith. As we draw near, that we may draw near not with terror, but with full assurance. Not with timidity, but with boldness. To come near and to see what it is that you want us to do. And to do so with absolute trust in you and love for you. For all that you have done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe one of the one of the key things that was forgotten by the people at this point in time was the first part of the Ten Commandments where he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Friends, if we forget, as Brother Glenn said, why we're here, if we forget why God has put us here, that it's by his grace that he has brought us to himself, if we forget that, we don't understand what he's trying to teach us. If we don't have a concept of this, this doesn't, if God is, if, if we have not been able to trust God, we're going to teach our children not to trust him too. If we hate God, that will be passed on. If we're running in terror from God, that too will be passed on. It is because that he is working in us and drawing us after himself and leading us into his ways that we can teach our children. We can say, this is the way God said we should walk. This is how we do it. This is where we go. This is what he's taught us. Unless you believe him this morning, you will not be able to teach your children. Proper faith in God that results in joyful obedience to him. That's the, that's the second part of this, of this. Proper faith in God that results in joyful obedience to him. We're going to jump in here in verse 29. He says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments. And that's the, that, that second part is the part we want to hone in on. That they would keep all my commandments. You say, well, isn't that legalism? Isn't that going back to the law to try to please God? It's, God is not teaching legalism here. What God is teaching them is that this is where I am. That you must keep my commandments. The, the problem is that Christ would then be sent as the means of obedience, the way that we can keep his commandments. First of all, Christ kept every one of God's commandments perfectly. There's no, there's no man who's walked the face of this earth who's kept these ten commandments except Christ. And he is 
he is the one who gave himself for us that his righteousness, his perfection could be, could be presented to God as what we need, as that which is given for us. That perfection and that righteousness is ours in the, in the presence of God. And then he calls us to live in accordance to and to walk in connection with that righteousness. And so when he's asking these people to obey him, he's simply asking them to live in the manner of the grace that he has already given them. He's already delivered them from the house of bondage. You know, it's quite one thing for him to take these people physically out of the land of Egypt. It takes another thing to get Egypt out of their hearts. And it's, friends, it's that, that heart of man that, that does not believe God is what in the end took these people away from God. Proper fear of God, reverential respect for every word that he has spoken is the basis or the beginning or the foundation of genuine faith. It is, it is, it is believing and knowing that every word that God says is right. It is believing that what he wants to do is the right thing that we ought to do. Our problem is that we, we, we do like, like Eve, we, we say, well, but here's a tree that's good for food and it looks good and it would make me wiser. And we forsake, we forsake the teaching and the commandment of God for that which appear, appeals to us. In fact, what we find here, God comments on in in. in Amos 2, verse 4, and I'll read that for you. It says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah and for four I will not turn away its punishment, because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments. Their lies lead them astray, lies which their fathers have followed. Let's, let's break this down a little bit. Israel's first of all, they disrespected and dishonored God by forsaking his law. And folks, I just let's just let's just be honest. This is happening today. We have people that despise the law of God. They can't bear the fact that the law of God would actually call them to a level of obedience, and God would hold them accountable to it. But God says, I'm not going to keep the punishment away. I will punish them for this very thing. The church today in America is in trouble. We've rejected the law of God, and we've been a law to ourselves. And it's a time that if we are going to be the generation that raises up a godly generation, it is time we respect the law of God. It's time we give God his due honor and respect. 
Because if we despise, if we despise the law of God in our generation, we'll raise up the next generation who will also despise the law of God and barely know it, and the third generation will not know who God is. And I think for every one of us, whether we, will, whether we have families today or whether we don't, this is a call for all of us. I, you know, even as, as singles here, God may not have marriage for your future. I don't know. And it's okay. But there's another generation that's coming behind you and they're watching what you're doing. They're paying close attention to how you, what you do with the law of God. And it makes a difference in their lives. Let's not think we're exempt from this. As a father and a grandfather, I feel this weight incredibly upon my life. That the way I handle and treat the word of God it affects me, it affects my children, it's going to affect my grandchildren. And, and what I do with this, they're going to imitate me. They're going to imitate you. And so if you're going to have a godly generation that's going to rise up to serve the Lord, friends, it's time that we rise up and serve the Lord. Notice... Secondly, they refused to keep his word or hang on to the word of God. They refused, it says, and have not kept my commandments. That word kept means to guard or to preserve or to observe, to keep. They've not kept his commandments. They're lies. And what happens when you don't keep those commandments, you replace it with something else. And when Eve turned away, from the law of God, from the word of God, she replaced the word of God in her life with something else. She replaced it with a lie. And friends, there are so many people today that are raising their children on lies. They're living lies, they're raising their children on lies, and when it comes right down to it, the children have no understanding of the truth because they have no understanding of the truth and they've forsaken the law of God and embrace the philosophies of men. Faith in God this morning, my friend, must raise up something in you that says, I need what God has to say. I've got to have the word of God. Secondly, the word must be heard with faith and received gladly. See, as, as the Hebrew writer makes comment on this, let's just turn to Hebrews 3 and look at what the Hebrew writer, as he, as he writes in retrospect, looking back on these folks that we're reading, that, that Moses is speaking to here in Deuteronomy. We go back to, to Deuteronomy, I mean, to Hebrews 3, and we begin in verse 18. Remember, Verse 3, he talks about how that they didn't believe God and their carcasses fell in the wilderness. In other words, they wandered around. They came to the land of Canaan. They didn't believe God at the entrance of the land that God had promised them. 
And he sent them back out in the wilderness to wander for 40 years until that disbelieving generation died. And they all died. And he says, now the children which you were afraid for, they're going to inherit this land because they believe me. Let's look. Verse 18, chapter 3 of Hebrews. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Those people fell in the, in the wilderness because they were unbelieving and they disobeyed. I just want you to, I just want, want to notice there's a connection there. We do what we believe is right to do. Our chooser, our will, will choose that which we deem to be the best for us. The problem is Satan has deceived us to the point where we don't believe that God's will is the best for us. And these people never entered the land because they didn't believe. Therefore, verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. You see, just like God promised them a land of rest, a land of plenty, a land of prosperity and peace, so God promises his children Immense benefits in the kingdom of God. But it's not given to the faithless. It's not given to those who refuse to believe. And it didn't work. It wasn't given. It wasn't. They didn't receive this promise because what they heard was not mixed with faith. gives us a clear understanding of the human heart. You might be sitting here this morning, and you may hear what was shared, that Christ came to give himself a ransom for us, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You might have heard this morning that, that Christ has come and taken and spanned that gulf. That great gulf that was fixed between us and him. But my friends, if there's not faith in your heart to believe God, it's not profiting you a thing. It ran off of your mind like water off a duck's back. It only penetrates the heart and the soul and the mind when faith is mixed with the hearing of the word of God. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is something God gives. And it's the, it's the means by which he, he causes us to be able to receive and obey his word. You see, this didn't happen in a, in a vacuum. It did happen in a vacuum. There was no faith there. But there was something else there. There was a lie. They were chose to believe the lies 
of the land of the people around them, of the people of the land around them rather than the truth of God's word. So if you hear this morning and there's no obedience, I agree, we, we, we all struggle with degrees of obedience. There may be things I struggle with that you don't even have a struggle with. It's not a problem with you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the one who has no obedience to the word of God, who cannot obey the truth. It's because they have no faith. And let me just, just say, increase of faith is going to bring increase of obedience. And God's going to grow that faith as we submit ourselves to him, as we, as we continue to, to be into his word, be, be fed by it, be led by it. Romans 10 verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith grows as you hear the word of God, as you, as you, as you, as you take it in, as you believe what God has said, and you, you, you found your life, you stake your claim, you put all your eggs in God's basket. It's believing him with complete trust in him. You see, if you believe God this way, the children will see that daddy and mama hold to something bigger than them. They trust God. They will understand as they grow older, they are an example of where I need to go. When we trust God, we believe that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. In Acts 17, verse 11, Paul was coming to the Bereans and he says, these were more fair-minded, I, I like the old King James better, it says more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they searched the word of God daily. They received the word gladly and researched and searched the word of God daily to see whether these things were so. They gladly received what was taught them and they sought it out according to the word of God. You want to grow in your faith, my friends, take what God has said at one place, compare it to what he said in other places of the scripture, and it will increase your trust in God and in his word. The Bible speaks with one voice. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. Many people try to take nuances of the Bible and pit them against each other. And it's happening all over the place. But when you get into the Word of God and you find out what God intended by what He said, you will find that it matches everything else that He said. This is why you mess with one thing of the Word of God and tamper with it. You're, you're, you're doing something to all the rest of the scriptures. And so your faith is going to be built by believing what God has said. It doesn't mean that we're gullible. It doesn't mean that we're, that we're just willing to take anything that comes along. What it means is that we'll search it 
and will seek it out in accordance to the word. And if it fits the word, we take further, we pay further attention to it. And where it misses the word of God or is against the word of God, we throw it out. It's not fit. Because we, we're all in on what God has to say to us. Now notice that he says here in verse 29, that they would, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments. That they would always keep all my commandments. True faith moves us to be concerned about what God wants. What he wants us to do and how he wants it done and all that he wants done. You see, that's what it means to observe and do all the commandments. Just look back just to, for just a minute. <coughs> Pardon me. I'm sorry. We're going to look ahead verse, from verse 29. Let's look at verse 31. But as for you, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which you shall teach them, that they may observe them, that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. Observing God's commandments is part of keeping them. One of the things that Christ said that we are to do as his children is we are to remember him by the breaking of bread. And we observe communion every Sunday because it is, a, it is keeping that. It is drawing near to that. It is observing this because we want to keep it. So it is with the words of God, with the commandments of God. We must make observation, and we must observe to them to do them. It must be intentional. There must be a place in our heart and our lives, and life is going to upset a lot of things. But friends, we need to make place to observe the Word of God and keep it. Notice, let's, let's go to, uh, to verse 32. Therefore you shall be careful... To do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. It means that not only are you to be careful to do it, but you're not to be looking around and trying to, to, to bring other things into the Word of God and compromise the Word of God with it. You know, he told them the places where, where idols are worshipped in this new land... You're to, you're to wipe it off the map and not even say its name anymore. It's not worth the breath to remember it. It's because of the fear of God and the belief in God's word that these people were led, that the, their children were actually led into the land of Canaan. True faith and belief manifested by someone who longs to see God's law and his will done in their lives, is going, to, is going to come forth in obedience to his word. It is, it is why Jesus taught us to pray in, in Matthew 6, in verse 10. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How's God's commandments done in heaven, by the way? 
perfectly. There's perfect harmony. There's absolutely nothing there that disturbs the peace of heaven. And we're asking God, will you work your will in us so that we may do as you have it done in heaven? And in this world where sin, we're, we're in constant connect, we're in constant contact with sin, and we're constantly facing it, even dealing with it in our own lives. It's impossible to have that perfect, that perfect sense of, of always perfectly performing His will. But we have one who did. We have one who did. We're asking that God would make us like Christ, the one who did. So I ask us this morning, what is our level of respect and all for the, that we have for God and the level of respect we have for his commandments? Do we respect the law of God, the commandments of God? How do, you, how, do you, how do you deal with his word? Are you embracing it with gladness? Knowing that he has revealed himself in his word. The biggest thing of this, the biggest issue of, this command, of these commandments, these ten commandments, is that God revealed something of his character in these ten commandments. There's nothing wrong with the law. We need Christ. We need Christ who fulfilled the law to give us the ability to partake of it. You have a desire this morning to apply his word to your life, believing that the Holy Spirit will guide you and sustain you to obey it. See, as parents, I, there's something I, I, I recognize so many times. That as I was facing things with raising my children, that here I am, I'm trying to raise these children for the glory of God. And I myself am a piece of work. God is at work in me. And here I am trying to raise my children. And I had to just come before him many times and say, Lord, I'm, I need your help. The Holy Spirit must lead us in obedience to the word of God. We must raise our children with humility, friends, because we, we see their faults. But guess what? A lot of times their faults are mirrors of our faults. We can't change the Word of God, but we can ask God to apply His Word to us. So is God's word non-negotiable with you in all that it requires of you this morning? Do you have that attitude about God's word that you're not going to negotiate with God? My attitude is, must be an attitude of submission and obedience to him, not an attitude of trying to negotiate with him. Are you truly willing for God's will to be done in you as it is in heaven? Would that, would that sound like something you would love to have? That... You could obey it as Christ obeyed. Because, friends, how will our children listen to us and respect 
us if we refuse to fear and trust God. You know, they are going to look at us and they're going to derive from us. They're going to treat us the way we treat God many times. The way we deal with God is how they're going to deal with us. And so, my friends, I, I ask us this morning, let's, let's take heed to these words. Well, not only does faith receive the word gladly, but here in verse 31, we notice that he says that I'm going to speak to you. I think I'm missing something here. All the commandments, and I guess that's the commandments that we are to observe and do. These commandments, first of all, it's the word mitzvah. And it's God's code. It's His code of, of behavior. It's His code of, of how what He expects of us. We have ten things here that are written as a means by which God communicates to us this is my law. This is my commandments. This is what I want from you. So we should not only respect and honor his law, his commandments, but we must respect and observe his statutes. Notice he says, and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes. What is a statute? His statutes come from the Hebrew word hok which means specific decrees and enactments of God's law. God's law got very specific. You know, God says it's, it's, it's good and right that we work and that we make money. But there's a law in here that says thou shalt not steal. That means it's not right for you to go and steal your brother's money. Just because it's right for you to work and have your own money doesn't mean it's right to go and steal your brother's money. There's statutes, there's limitations on the law of God. We must observe those. Faith, true faith says, I want to go where God says go. I want to stop where God says stop. I want to find out what it is that he wants me to do and I want to stay away from what he doesn't want me to do. You have the positive affirmation. That this is where you will be blessed. You have the negative denial. You will not be blessed here. So while he lists to us the commandments, he shows us that we reject the sin. And both are in operation in genuine faith. Today, everybody wants a positive word. They want everything to be positive, positive. And, and you can't, you know, I... You can't drive with the, you can't go anywhere if you're always holding the brake down in your vehicle. And God never expects us to just abide by the do nots. He wants us to put the foot on the gas and go after the do's. Here they are, do them. Believe me, do them and you will live. This is how you will raise up the next generation. Believe, believe him. Trust him. But you must trust him and observe the things that he says 
that don't do. Stay away from that. That's not going to bring life. It's going to bring death. The next thing he says there is that you keep his judgments. You honor and keep his judgments. His judgments, or the mishpat, are those decisions God makes before about how justice is to be served and how it's to be carried out if the statutes are broken. If the limitations are, are trans, transgressed, here's how you bring judgment into your life. Here's what God has said to do. What are some of those things that we recognize in the, in the kingdom of God? That he has saved us from our sins, but if we sin, we have what? We have an advocate with the Father. He says, go confess your sin that you may be healed. As a believer, as a child of God, when you've disobeyed the statutes that God has put up, he's given a judgment. He said, my judgment already took place in the Lord Jesus Christ. I judged that sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. He bore it in his body on the tree. Go confess that sin to him and you will be healed. And friends, we must be humble people and recognize that even while we try to bring about to our children an understanding of what sin is, what righteousness is, that very thing must come home to us. And we must be humble enough to say, I'm sorry. We must come to Christ and repent. If we don't have this attitude, it's an attitude of unbelief. I don't believe God. I'll fix it on my own. I'll make a way somehow to do it. Thirdly, true, true faith in God includes the persuasion that God's ways are always the best for us and for our children. The persuasion that God's ways are always the best for us and for our children. And, that's, and I want to take this out of, out of verse 29. Oh, that they would have such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments that it may be well with them. That it may be well with them and with their children forever. Do, do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God really wants it to be well with you and with your children forever? I believe that. God cares more about it being well with us and with our children than we could possibly care. As much as we dearly love our children and we dearly want them to be saved and we dearly want them to have everything well with them. God is their designer. God is the one who put them here. God is the one who created them. And it's, it's his intention that we understand his ways are the best ways. His ways are the best ways. 
To be well here means to be wholly well, to be, to be well in a whole sense. That you're not just having a good time and, you, and things are going to pot at home. That you're not just coming to church and it's a, it's a good show, but your, 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 your life at work and your life in, uh, with your family is trash. That's not what he's saying. So that it may be well with you wholly. That it may be well with you at home and it may be well with you in the church. It may be well with you at work. <clears throat> That's why he says, if you will keep my, my laws and my commandments, blessed shall you be in your homes. Blessed will you be in the streets. Blessed will you be in your crops and in, and in all your endeavors. Blessings just going to come and follow you. Why is it? Because they believed God and they obeyed him. But he said the re exact reverse is true. When you disbelieve God and you push his ways aside, cursed will you be in your home. Cursed will you be in, your, in, your, in, your, uh, in, in providing for your families. Cursed will you be in, in your relationships. And these curses are just going to follow you. Friends, when we look at our society today, what do we see? Everything that sinful man puts his hand to, there's a curse that comes with it. Even the good that he would do, he brings his own selfish nature along with it. <clears throat> God says, I want that to be well with you. That it would be well with you. Turn with me to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, we're going to begin here in verse 5. And this is God looking back on Israel, who is now facing judgment for forsaking the law of God in their, in their lives. And he's ready to, to have them uh, judged. He's ready to have them taken captive into Babylon. Beginning here in verse 5. Verse, chapter 17, Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who, makes, who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from, bearing, from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. We understand from this passage that, first of all, God shows us what it, what it means to him, what it looks like to him, when we follow our own ways, when we follow our own thinking, or we adopt the philosophies of man that are out here to replace the Word of God. 
Notice what he says. He makes flesh his strength. That means that he's taking on the abilities that man has in his natural being apart from God and whose heart departs from the Lord. When Eve reached out to take that fruit, she departed from the law of the Lord. When Adam reached out to take that fruit, he departed from the law of the Lord. He, they went after that in what? Their own strength. It was their doings. And we're born with that, that propensity, with that nature, with that innate desire to do our own thing with God. And it's, this is the biggest problem that many of us have in our faith, in growing in our faith with God. We're full of us. And he said, cursed is the man who departs from God. He says he's like, he's like the shrub in the desert. The desert is no place for a bush to grow. He doesn't even see the good when it comes to him. Brothers and sisters, we are going to need to raise up the next generation in righteousness. We are going to need the blessings of God to come upon us. If the blessings of God don't come upon us, we don't have enough. We don't have enough strength. Our strength runs out. Our power is limited. Our resolve has a, has a boundary to it, has a limit to it. Our own personal thinking is, is, is small and weak. And unless the Lord blesses, we're done. That's what we need to consider. That's what it means to trust the Lord, is that we're going to trust Him for His blessing. If He doesn't bless, it's over. We have no hope. In fact, salvation is a promise that Christ has taken the curse of our sin upon himself and given us his righteousness so we can be blessed. So that we can be blessed. And then we can, be, we can, we can rejoice in the work of God in our lives. Now let's go on here in Jeremiah. Not only does he say, cursed is the man who forsakes the Lord, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. The one who has his faith in God and his hope, he has an expectation that he's assured of. He has an expectation God will do something and he knows God will do it. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river. He will not fear when the heat comes, but his leaf will be green. He will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. You see, it, it reminds us of Psalm 1, doesn't it? Blessed is the, is the undefiled who walks in the law of the Lord. The one who has his, his, his life is like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water who bears his fruit in his season. What a beautiful thing it is when there's a drought 
and there's desert all around, and yet there's this beautiful tree who's planted by the water, and his, his, his roots go down into the water, and he's drinking from the water every day, and he's just bearing fruit. The drought doesn't matter. The difficult time, it may, it may hurt, but it's not changing the fact that he's bearing fruit. Listen, friends, faith in God bears fruit. If it does, it's not faith. It's not saving faith if it's not bearing fruit. And this is why that we, we may have small fruit. Maybe we, we struggled and we, we just don't have the fruit. None of us can say we have the fruit we ought to have. But if there's fruit there, it's because of God. Listen, this, this, this is a blessing from God. But the root of the, of the issue is that man at his heart in his lost state is deceitful. His heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Meaning he desperately wants to be wicked against God. So it takes more than us to trust God. God must work in our lives and give us that faith, that gift of faith that overcomes our sinfulness, our wickedness, that which is undiscernibly evil against God. While man is completely, totally depraved, I don't think anybody, any man has ever been as depraved as he absolutely could be. The reality is that if, if God, if, if man is going to be stopped from his depravity, there must be faith in the Lord. It is the faith in the Lord that bears the fruit that turns us away from our own works and turns us to God. And I just want to tell you, as you're raising your family or you're thinking of raising your family, <clears throat> maybe you're, you're thinking about your children or you're thinking about someone you might be wanting to marry or you, you're thinking about Marriage just in general, or maybe you're just young and you don't know what, has, what, what God has for you. As you consider this, look for what God is blessing. If, if you're considering a, a young man or a young lady that you would like to marry as young people, consider is the blessing of God upon that person's life. If you're going to choose God's ways and they don't, or if they do and you don't, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have conflict. There will be no way around it. You must choose God's ways as the best way for you. And thereby choose your partner concerning that. Whose philosophies and ideas this morning are governing your life? Where do you get your ideas? Those of you who are raising your children this morning, where do your ideas come from? Have you checked them out with the Word of God? Do you trust God that His ways are best for you where you're at right now? For, for those of us who are grandparents... Can we look back 
and, 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 lead, and, and, and desire to bless our children and our grandchildren. Bless them with the things that we see that are good. How many times has, has older, grouchy, I'll say this, old, grouchy grandpas turned off their posterity because they don't bless them? They're a nuisance to them. They're annoying to them. Faith in God believes that God is working even when you can't see it. We have to trust him that he's working. Are you committed and submitted to the will of God in total dependence upon him for the fruit that he wants to see from your life? We have things we want to see, but have you committed them to God so that they are, that they are what he wants to see? I don't have time to go into everything, but... Point five here in this in this in this part. Teach then these we're to teach these things to the next generation, and while we're teaching them to obey, we are being taught to obey. It's a process. We're not standing over the, the next generation as perfect. We're standing over the next generation with a hand and saying, "I'm being taught too, but this is the way. Let's go." Moses is a faithful example. He forsook the sinful pleasures of Egypt for a season to enjoy suffering with the people of God because or to suffer the he forsook the, the enjoyment of pleasures of sin for a season and suffered with the people of God by faith. By faith. He trusted that God had more in store for him even if it meant suffering. He turned away from the philosophies of Egypt, from all the things he was educated in that, that would have made him the son of the world superpower, of the leader of the world superpower. Pharaoh was the world superpower of the day. And he would have been the son and maybe even rightful heir or a superior leader in the kingdom. But he chose, he, he saw the evil and he saw the judgment that God is bringing upon those evil ideas and those evil deeds. And he forsook them to embrace God and to suffer with his people. That's why it calls, God calls him the meekest man in the earth. Well, true, true faith doesn't back away from the difficult things. You know, Abraham was called by faith to offer his son on an altar before the Lord. True faith must, must step forward to embrace even the, the, the difficult things of God's word and believe Him. Believe Him and trust Him and not withhold anything from Him. Hebrews 11 verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For He is a rewarder of those who diligently Seek Him. If we're raising the next generation without faith, it is impossible to please God in raising up the next generation because it's impossible to please God for our generation. 
it's going to be impossible to raise them up without faith. But the one who believes God this way knows that they're not just practicing their religion. You know that you're not just here practicing a certain kind of faith or religion as the world calls it today. You're not practicing a faith in faith. Faith in faith is nothing. But you are following God's call upon your life to have faith in Him. Your faith has an object, and that object is God. And if you're going to follow Him, it is because you put your faith in Him, and He has called you to obedience. What the world has a hard time understanding about Christians is that they're not just trying to perform their religion if they're true Christians. They are following a calling of Almighty God through the Word and through the Holy Spirit. And so I want, I want, to, I want to extend to you the fact that you're not just, I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to the voice of God and the Word of God by the Spirit of God. And realize that He's extended you an awesome responsibility with awesome power to do it. Quickly, I want to reference the powerful blessings that will follow. And this is the last verse of this passage. He says, You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live. It means that you may have life. That you may live. Not only will you live according to this, this word live, but you will thrive. You will thrive. You're not just barely surviving, but you will thrive. God, God the Father and Christ the Son will love you. Jesus said in John 14, verse 21, that the one who keeps his commandments, he and the Father will love him. Faith in Christ, faith in God, is, is, is going after God in obedience. And he, the blessing of that is that He loves us. He loves His children. He dearly wants the best for them. And He gives them His best. He proved that with His own Son. What a contrast this is to the relationship they had on Mount Sinai with Him. Where they ran in terror from Him. Today he extends love, but it is by faith. Well, not only this, but he says that it may be well with you. That it may be wholly well with you. And this is what the word peace means. Shalom. It means that it's not only just tranquil and nice, but things are really well. That you're at peace. It will be well with you. In fact, we find in this that we find the true pleasure of knowing God. The one he says in Psalm 1 who dwells by the rivers of water, he delights in the law of the Lord. It is a pleasure, it is a joy to him to look at the law of God. Why? Because God has given him life. 
God is abounding in him to give him more life. And the, and the life that he gives is, is, is not just restricted, but it's, it's a super abundant life. That's what he wants from us. We must trust him for it. We must go where he says to go for it. Not only that, he says that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. You'll increase your life and you will prosper in God's provision for you. I believe that as we look at Proverbs, foolish living, foolishness brings empty living and short living. He says that you may bring, be fruitful and that you may do well and that you may live long. Long life is a blessing because as we look at Hebrews, we see that, that Isaac, I mean, Isaac dwelt in tents with That Jacob dwelt in tents with Isaac and Abraham. If I can say this right. Jacob dwelt in tents with Isaac and Abraham. What does that mean? He was there with dad and he was there with grandpa. Do you know what that means to a child? When dad follows the Lord and you're able to sit on grandpa's knee. And he can tell you about the things of God. Maybe, maybe you, you haven't experienced that. But you can have it. You can have it. It can be different from here on. It can be different from now and forward than what it was from here and back. Where are you going to go for it? Where are you going to get that? world can't offer that to you. Philosophy isn't going to get it. Religion out there hasn't got it. You go to the Word of God. By faith. By faith, Jacob dwelt in tents with Isaac and Abraham. It will live long. If we act like the fool, God will give us the death of a fool. If we want to live the fool, maybe we won't see our children and our grandchildren. You see, the, world, the world's full of this today, and it's an example that God does bless. He blesses His faithful ones. Well, as we continue... Brothers and sisters, and you, you believe that God's rewards will come, I'm going to ask you, how will these truths apply to your lives? How will this apply to you? It must. If it doesn't, you'll forget it. How are you going to trust God for the blessings he will give for your generation and the one to come? May God give us grace this morning not to be condemned, 
but to see the vision he has for us. To see what he would bless us with. And by faith, by faith to trust him. By faith to reach out and get a hold of what his word says. That it may be well with you and with your children forever. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, we just thank you for your word and the promises therein. And how you have assured us that you will bless us as we, by faith, obey your word. We long for that blessing, Lord. We long for that love to be growing and multiplying and flourishing. Father, not only for us, but for our children and for our grandchildren. That the name of the Lord and be preserved here. And so we ask for each one, Lord, that hears this word, Lord, that you would apply it to their hearts. Father, that you would raise up a generation who will raise up the next generation to love you with their whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.